going to leave the book, the, um, the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and we're going to tell a story that comes from the voyage of the Dawn Treader. And um, that will show us something of what it is to have the new life of Christ within us. And so as we do that, I'd like to invite you to read with me Colossians 2, verses 9 through 13. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. And in Christ you have been brought into fullness. I'm, I'm, I'm reading from the Bible from our, um, from our pews and it doesn't quite match. So I'm, I'm just going to read it from, from the screen. And in Christ you have been brought into fullness. He is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised with a circumcision not performed by human hands. Your whole self, ruled by the flesh, was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in this uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins. This is the word of the Lord. Dear friends, what's new in this new year? You are new in this new year. When you are baptized into Christ, you are a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And today we claim that truth. Today we, we tell that story about ourselves again. We, we hold fast to what is true about our souls and our bodies and, and our very lives. It's, it's part of who we are, it's our identity. It says in our passage that in Christ, you were brought into fullness. In your baptism, an old nature was put off, and you are no longer the same person as you were before. With Christ, God makes you truly alive. You have been brought to fullness. You have been, your old flesh put off. You are made alive in Christ. This is, this is a transformation of our lives. This is, this is something that, that has, is happening, has, has happened to us and is happening to us. Your past, your present, your future, your body, your mind and soul, all of who you are. It's a truly awesome new life. And C.S. Lewis helps us imagine, helps us feel what that's like? What, what could that even feel like or look like? Or, you know, how can you imagine what's going on in your life? And he tells us a story of Clarence, or Eustace Clarence Scrub, who was transformed by Aslan. Eustace, Eustace starts in, in the story of the voyage of the Dawn Treader, Treader, Treader as a very terrible person. He's not a nice kid at all. He, he's the kind of kid that you go, you know, send him back to his parents. I don't want to deal with this kid. 
He is, you couldn't describe a more terrible person than Eustace Scrub. And we're alerted to this at the very first line of the book, where it says, there was a boy called Eustace Clarence Scrub, and he almost deserved it. His very name spoke of his character. He was sniveling, he was, he was a scrubby, sniveling, little spoiled snit. In chapter one, we learn not only of his ridiculous name, but also his lack of friends and his poor, cho- poor choice of reading material. We learn that it isn't all his fault. He has been corrupted by his progressive parents who are more interested in jumping on the latest cultural fads than they are in raising a son with strong ethical values and a vivid imagination. He's been raised without art. He's been raised without literature. He's been raised without God. And as a result, he's selfish and he's unpleasant. It says he liked, bullying, he liked bossing and bullying, and though he was a puny little person who couldn't have stood up even to Lucy, let alone Edmund, in a fight, he knew that there are dozens of ways to give people a bad time. He liked books if they were books of information and had pictures of grain elevators. We feel sorry for Eustace in a way. We feel more sorry for Lucy and Edmund, his cousins, who have to spend so much time with him. And so when Eustace find himself, finds himself drawn into the beautiful, magical world of Narnia with Edmund and Lucy, he absolutely hates it. He doesn't get it. He doesn't see it. He still thinks he's in, on the earth uh, in, in our world, and, and he, you know, he complains the whole way through, and, and he threatens to report the matter to the British consul. And out on the ocean, on the dawn treader, he's worse than a burden and a blight on everyone on the grand adventure that Prince Caspian and crew are on. At every turn, Eustace is a liability, a danger, a nuisance, a snob, a complainer, a spoiled brat, a thorn in everyone's side, unable to accept the reality of Narnia. Even Lucy, the youngest Pevensey, who was probably the kindest person you'd ever know, has the kindest heart in the Narnia series, finds it hard to put up with Eustace. And Edmund, who usually calls a spade a spade, simply called him a record stinker. Eustace, I think, actually, I think Lewis had a fun time writing Eustace. Somehow I get this this little smirk on his face. Every time Eustace turns and and does anything, he's just like over the top. He's just like, you you would never know a kid like this because he's that bad. He's a monster. And and so it's appropriate that Eustace turns into a monster. He physically turns into a dragon. Instead of helping the ship, the the ship had been um, caught in in a bad storm and it it lost its mast and it it almost fell apart, but they landed on a desert island and then they all had to help clean up and fix it and, and do all these things. And of course, Eustace takes a nap. And then he wakes up and he goes, yeah, I think I want to go for a walk. And he goes for a walk and wanders off, doesn't help a bit. And then he finds himself at a dragon's cave with a dragon's treasure and he becomes very greedy. And he puts on a gold bracelet and then he falls asleep. And when he wakes up, he's a dragon. 
as Lewis writes, sleeping on a dragon's hoard with greedy, dragonish thoughts in his heart, he had become a dragon himself. And now his outside appearance matched his inner demeanor. He was a dragon all along, a monster, and now his outside declared it. Eustace reminds us of the nature of sin. Our Bible passage speaks of sin this way. It says, your whole self ruled by the flesh. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, the unrenewing, the unchangingness of your flesh, you, we had upon us the charge of legal indebtedness which stood against us and condemned us. It, it's pretty bad. It sounds pretty dark. It sounds kind of over the top, especially that part about being dead. We were dead to sin. We were lifeless to God. We were lifeless to the things of God. We, it's like we had a, a, an anti-God allergy. Whenever God moved toward us, we would run away. Whenever you know, we got close to anything spiritual, we would sneeze it out, and, and, and we would just, just keep God away from us. We, we might not look like dragons. We, we might not be, you know, like that's pretty physically... Um, you know, a, a, a picture of, of what it is. We might not be, you know, evil warlords or, you know, or as bad as we might have become, but we were not the way we were supposed to be. We were not the way God created us to be. We were created good and we were not good. Sin turns us away from a relationship with God and sin changes us bit by bit by bit. It's not like one day we said, oh, now I'm going to be against God. Now I'm going to hate the church. Now I'm going to, you know, be against everything Jesus is for. But it's just like, yeah, you know, this slow walk away. A slow pursuit of things that are not God. That leave us in this place of, of who have I become? This is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm supposed to have a relationship with God. I'm supposed to have a relationship with others. I'm supposed to have a good relationship with myself. Sin diminishes us. It makes us less than human. And it cuts us off from God and from each other and from our very selves. And in its own way, sin turns us into monsters. Somewhere we recognize a little bit of Eustace in every one of us. Eustace may be over-the-top, terrible, an over-exaggerated picture of perniciousness, but there is something of a selfishness and self-absorption that we see as part of our human condition. It's in us. But there's good news. There's transformation. Eustace doesn't stay that way. He changes for the better. And this transformation follows a process. It, it, it doesn't just, boom, happen. It, it's something that, you know, it follows a process. It, it starts with a realization. This is not right. Eustace got to a point where he said, yeah, I shouldn't be a dragon. After he becomes a dragon, <clears throat> you know, he, he thinks, hey, this is cool. I like this. I'm the biggest thing in the, on this island. 
and they all have to deal with me. But then he quickly realizes he's cut off from his friends. He's cut off from humanity, and he feels the weight of loneliness and desperately wants to change. It says he, he wanted to be among friends. He wanted to get back among humans and talk and laugh and share things. He realized he was a monster cut off from the whole human race. An appalling loneliness came over him, and he began to see that the others had not really been fiends. He began to wonder if he himself had been such a nice person as he had always supposed. He longed for their voices. Being a dragon makes him realize the truth about himself. It's like Eustace hits rock bottom here. And he discovers the truth about himself there. And he doesn't like what he sees. Have you ever been at that place? Have you ever been at that place where you go, what have I become? What's happened to me? You know, where have I gone? I used to be like this and now I'm like that. And he starts to want to be liked. And he starts to want to help others. And as a dragon, it was really convenient because they needed a mast for that ship and he just kind of picked it up and brought it over there. It was, he became helpful as a dragon. But he didn't want to stay as a dragon. He wanted to change. And that's the first step of our spiritual transformation, the embrace of our own brokenness. I'm not the way I'm supposed to be. And I don't like that. And that's a big step but it doesn't result in transformation. You might want it, but it, it doesn't just happen. Transformation may start with a desire for it, but we can't make it happen. Because try as he might, Eustace can't change from being a dragon to a boy. He rips a few layers off of skin, but, but you know, then he's just got new skin, and he's still a dragon. And he asks... How many layers of skin do I have to take off? And it doesn't matter because it can't do the job. As Anglican Archbishop Rowan Williams writes, we can only signal that we want help to be stripped in that way. We can only say, I want this and and I'm open to it and I, I, I really need it. But we can't do it ourselves. Self-improvement projects just don't cut it for Eustace and neither for us. We can't wish it away. We can't work it away. We can't buy it away. We can't do anything to get this gone. And it's only when Aslan, the lion, shows up that Eustace is able to shred his dragonish exterior. Aslan tells Eustace, lay flat down on your back because I need to do this. And according to Eustace, it was not pleasant. The very, the very first tear he made was so deep that I thought it had, gone, it had gone right to my heart, into my heart. And when he began pulling the skin off, it hurt worse than anything I've ever felt. The only thing that made me able to bear it was just the pleasure of feeling the stuff peel off, you know? If you've ever picked the scab off a sore place, it hurts like Billy, Billy-o, but it is such fun to see it coming. That sounds a lot like the people in Jerusalem when Peter stood up in the crowds and said, 
This is Jesus, who you crucified, and he's now become Lord and Savior of all because he rose from the dead and he sent us his spirit. And, and they heard him preach, and when they, they heard his words, what happened? They were cut to the heart. Those words about Christ were like a claw that cut through all the layers of self-delusion and self-righteousness and sin, and they, they were opened to the heart work that only Christ's Spirit can do. And Eustace tells what happens next. Well, he peeled the beastly stuff right off, and there I was, as smooth and as soft as a peeled switch and smaller than I had been. Then he caught hold of me. I didn't like that much, for I was very tender underneath now that I'd no skin on, and he threw me into the water. It smarted like anything, but only for a moment. After that, it became perfectly delicious, and as soon as I started swimming and splashing, I found that all the pain had gone from my arm, and then, I'd saw, then I saw why. I turned into a boy again. And there's the imagery of, of baptism that, that Lewis is getting us towards. Aslan throws Eustace into the water, and he turns into his true self again. It's a picture of what it means to become a new creation in Christ, demonstrating both the agony and the joy of rebirth. And all this relates to our spiritual lives as we read in our passage. Your whole self ruled by the flesh was put off when you were circumcised by Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through your faith in the working of God, who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive in Christ. It was God who did this, and he did it through Christ, and it happened through our baptism. Baptism is an awesome thing. We join Christ in his death on the cross, and we join Christ in his resurrection from the dead. We go down with him into death, and we are raised up with him into his new resurrected life. Our sinful nature is buried, and our new nature rises from the water, and that's how we become fully alive. And this transformation of our spirit can only come because of what Christ has done for us, not ourselves. As it says in, in, our, in Scripture, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, the new creation has come, the old has gone, and the new is here. And we saw last week, the old has gone. It's a once and for all act. And the new is come and is coming. It's, it's something that is growing within us. This renovation of our lives, this liberation of our human identity from all that is not life-giving, from, from the darkness, from dehumanizing greed, from fear and shame, is not something we can achieve. It's only the grace of Aslan, only our willingness to follow the call of Christ. There is only the love of Christ and our readiness to meet him face to face. And, and one more thing about our, our transformation. It's gradual. As C.S. Lewis writes, it would be nice and fairly, nearly, fairly, fairly nearly true to say that from that time forth, Eustace was a different boy. To be strictly accurate, he began to be a different boy. He had relapses. There were still many days when he could be very tiresome, but most of those I shall not notice. The cure had begun.
And isn't that the way it is for all of us? We begin to be different as the, God, the grace of God changes us for the better. The cure has begun. We have all been cured. We have all participated in the cure. Eustace shows us that the transformation is both one, a one-time event as well as a lifetime journey. There's an immediate, immediate difference and also a gradual refinement that comes along. There might be, for us, there might have been a, the flash of a Damascus road where we were going this way and suddenly we are now going that way. We were thinking this and now we're thinking that. We were, you know, doing all these deeds of darkness and now we are entering into the kingdom of light. And, and you know, this dramatic come to Jesus moment is, is, is maybe part of your story. But then comes the refinement. Then come the small steps of becoming wiser, becoming kinder, becoming more loving, becoming joyful, becoming good, becoming in control of yourself, peaceful and compassionate. Then comes the gradual work of becoming fully alive in Christ. I've always loved how C.S. Lewis describes this in, in Mere Christianity, where he says, Imagine yourself as a living house. God comes to rebuild that house. At first, perhaps you can understand what he's doing. He's getting the drains right and stopping the leaks in the roof and so on. You knew that all those jobs needed doing, and so you're not surprised. But presently, he starts knocking the house about in a way that hurts abominably and does not seem to make any sense. What on earth is he up to? The explanation is that he is building quite a different house from the one you thought of, throwing out a new wing here, putting on an extra floor there, running up towers, making courtyards. You thought you were being made into a decent little cottage, but he's building a palace. He intends to come and live in it himself. The transformation we have in Jesus is awesome. It changes the human heart. It changes my heart. It changes your heart. It leads us to become better people who can live in the presence of God. You know, the other day, we had some three young men come through our doors, and they were just kind of looking around at the church and just wondering, you know, they just came to our, our church. I don't know why. They, they, were, they were here studying at a local college. From in, they were from India, they were curious about Christianity and how it differed from their, their Hindu faith. So I talked with them, you know, I explained what happens in this space, and then they asked for a Bible, so I got them a Bible and, and, and gave them a thumbnail sketch of what it means, and I told them to read the book of Mark and learn about Jesus, and come back if you have any questions. I invited them to worship and just said, you know, you can come how you are, and there will be people who greet you and say hi, and and, you know, help you go through this so it's not so strange. Um, <clears throat> but it, it tells us that there are people that we are living among right here, right now, who are curious about what's going on here. They are curious about what's going on in the hearts of these people and what Christianity and what Christ can do for them. Could Christ be working his transformation in them too? I'm praying that they learn that the Bible isn't about information, 
The Bible is about transformation. And as we go into this new year, and now as we receive the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, I invite you to thank God for all the ways that Christ is making you new. I'm not inviting you to create these things for yourself or work them yourself and, and strive hard to, you know, to make this new creation real, but to open yourself up. You don't have to work hard to become less of a dragon. God, Jesus, comes in. Renewal comes from Jesus. Look for the renewal that's happening in you, in Christ, every day, and be thankful for the awesome transformation that Christ is doing in your heart and in the life of others. Amen. Let's pray. Restoring God, thank you for newness. It's a new day, it's a new season, it's a new year. And growing within us is the newness that we have from your Holy Spirit. Thank you for how you are growing us into new people. People formed by grace, love, peace, joy, and all the virtues of the Spirit. Open us up, renew us, change us into the image of your Son, Jesus. Help us let go of the old and receive with joy what your Spirit is growing within us. Help us to be fully alive to the servant way of Jesus, the path of life. Amen.